This morning's scripture is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? Psalm 91 is a great psalm. But I'll confess, it wasn't one that I'd ever spent a lot of time on. Uh, There was just... Others that, for lack of a better word, for human terms, I liked better. Uh, But as many of you know, this summer, uh, my father-in-law passed away. And during the memorial service for dad, uh, our local church pastor got up and said, in one of his last conversations with dad Smartnick, Melissa's dad, they were talking about the scriptures. And while my dad wasn't the strongest Christian out there, He did love the Lord and he loved people. That was not in question. And so the pastor of our local church uh, asked Dad Smartnick, he said, "What, what Bible passage do you really like? And Dad Smartnick said, Psalm 91 is my favorite. And so we were able, uh, the, the pastor was able to read this at his memorial service as a way of saying, we remember my father-in-law, Melissa's dad, but we remember the truth of God's word, that he is well taken care of, he is protected, God has been the fortress he promised. And as I think about the last five years of my father-in-law's life, when he suffered from cancer and when things physically went 
sideways for him personally. I take great solace in knowing that he knew the promises of God and this being one of them. You see, the amazing thing that I always respected about dad was he was content. He didn't have to have the fanciest, brightest, best, newest of anything. In fact, by the end of his life, almost everything he'd acquired, he'd given away joyfully. And if it wasn't joyfully, if people had taken something from him, he said, ah, it's not worth worrying about. There's more important things in life. He was a man that was content. He was simple. He was not dumb. Don't misunderstand me. Very, very brilliant man. Very hardworking man. But he was content with what God had given him. Now wonder about us. We are not, as a civilization today, known particularly for our contentedness. In fact, if we look around the world we find ourselves in, we're much more known for wanting what someone else has. <laughs> right? This is beyond the church, but as society as a whole... I believe my father-in-law understood this better than most of us. If we could just rest in what God has given and what God has called us to, we would be satisfied. But we're not, are we? Let me see if I can explain that as we get ready to dive into our text today. Airplanes are the worst class system known to man. You know what I mean? You get on an airplane... And I cheated this last time. I flew with the three kids as we were coming back and I had them by myself and I'm a pretty hopeless father. And so I went up and as soon as I got to the Cathay Gate, I said, please, can I get on the plane early because I got to figure out where to put their stuff, what they need and how to keep them happy for 16 hours. And I was nervous to say the least. That's the nice word I could use. And so I'm worried and I'm stressed and they're like, oh yes, 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 yes. Go on first. You can get on the plane first. And so I got to go on the airplane with my three kids with all those that got in first class. And you look at first class and Isaiah, my son, looks up at me and he says, Dad, why can't we sit there? <laughs> I'm like, I know, man. Wouldn't that be awesome? He's like, yeah, why don't you just spend the extra money? And I'm like, get a job. And then we walked back and we walked through business class and he said, this isn't as good, but could we do this? And I'm like, no, we got to keep going back. And then we got to economy plus. And he said, but dad, look, these seats are bigger. And I said, keep going. <laughs> and then we got to the very back. And I said, bud, this is, our, this is where we fit. And he said, but those seats up there are so much better. Why can't we have those? I said, those aren't for people like us, Isaiah. I said, and plus. And I tried to, I tried to make this a holy moment and not a lust-filled moment of envy and, and, and things. And I said, you know what? We can be very content right where we are. He's like, yeah, but there you can lay down. <laughs> I said, I don't have an answer for you for that, bud, but we're going to be happy in the seats that we have give, been given. In our Christian lives, I don't think we have learned the secret of satisfaction. I think we always want what somebody else has, sometimes to their detriment. And God has a whole book about this. It's called the Bible. But we're just going to look really at three verses today. And I want you to see them on the screen again. 
here. And it's verses 14 through 16. It's the response. We're not entirely sure who wrote Psalm 91. Some think it was Moses. Some think it was other people. But when God responds, it's precious. And it's for all of us to listen to and hear from well. Because it's a lesson my father-in-law knew better than I do. And I'm supposed to be the pastor. But listen to what God responds with to this writer who's expressing his confidence in God. He's saying, I will put my trust in God. I know he's got this. And we've talked about that earlier this year. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. I will, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, as we look at these verses today, as we look at your promises, may we not there think they're just to make us comfortable. But may we understand that these are a radically life-altering way of life that says your ways are better than our ways and that truth's trust and contentment and satisfaction is found in you and not in ourselves or our stuff or our status or our friends. And this we pray. Amen. I was walking around with some very intelligent people yesterday and I was telling them about how I wanted to try to get your attention this morning. And I was going to do so by giving you an illustration. How many of you have ever tried to hammer a nail into a piece of wood? Have you ever done that? Some of you have. And many of you in so doing have missed. Have you not? And every once in a while, the thumb gets hit, right? And it hurts. And if we are really honest with ourselves, our first response is the nail is crooked, the hammer's wrong, or clearly the weight in this hammer was built improperly and it's that fault. It couldn't possibly be our fault that we missed the nail, could it? No. Or maybe because we don't do a lot of home improvement on our own in Hong Kong, maybe it goes something like this. Most of you have probably aced or gotten a very high mark on an exam at one point or time, right? And if you haven't, that's okay. God still loves you and so do I. (laughs) But in a society like Hong Kong, you have the highest average IQ of anywhere in the world. Did you know that? Hong Kongers, highest IQ anywhere in the world on average. Pretty amazing. Pretty intimidating for me. I do not fit in that category. However, when we get a good mark on an exam, we pat ourselves on the back and say, I did a good job. If, however, our sworn enemy gets a good mark and aces the test and we get a bad grade, what do we do? We tell them, they cheated. There's no way. That test was too easy for them. It's not fair. It wasn't, the, the questions were geared. The teacher did something. It must have been slanted so they could get the good grade and I would fail. And and psychologically speaking, that's called this attribution theory, where when it happens to us, we tend to place personal responsibility in a positive sense. And when it happens to others, we tend to try to make excuses on why we did not succeed and they did. We do it all the times in our lives, even in Christian circles, even in churches. Why aren't we like the church down the road? They have more people, more money, better resources, better facilities, this, that, or the other. We get jealous, 
right? Or, as you've seen in the newspapers, or at least on Facebook, which is like a newspaper anymore, uh, we've heard about Christian leaders time and again falling. Multiple people were on that uh, adultery website, Ashley Madison, that were supposedly Christian leaders, and their names were listed there, not only politicians across the world. And we wonder, how could they fail? They should do better. And then we kick them while they're down. What happened that these people that were supposed to be saints missed the mark? Well, the answer is pretty simple. They began to seek satisfaction, as we all can be prone to do if we're not careful, in themselves or in the cares of this world. And they forgot that the true source of satisfaction is a growing relationship with God our Father through His Son empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they missed out. They began to seek to find satisfaction on their own terms. And maybe that you can't relate to that. Maybe you don't try to fix things first and then when they go sideways say, God, help me. But I have. I've done that in the past. I've made a mess and then tried to clean it up myself. But as we look at the scriptures and we look at verses 14 through 16, God's response to the psalmist, he gives us the basics of Christian life. And I love it. It works out like a nice math problem. And while I'm not great at math, I love the simplicity of this because listen to what he says here. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. So let's break this down. If we were to diagram it or if we were to make it mathematically, it would go something like this. First, acknowledgement. Now, that's a big word and we might not understand it completely. So I want to make sure we get what the writer here was given from the Lord himself. Acknowledgement is admitting what is already true. If you look out into this congregation and someone tells you, my name is Mike, you would agree that my name is Mike. You would acknowledge that they are right in that behavior. My name indeed is Mike. You might want to call me Michael, but you've got that. You're acknowledging the truth that you know is already there. Acknowledgement is not discovering a new truth that's brand new to you this one time. No. Acknowledgement of the name of God is coming to the place where we realize God has always been who he says he is and we're going to agree and finally admit that his ways are better than our ways. So we start with the simple act of acknowledgement for he acknowledges my name. He finally admits that God is the one true God and worthy to be praised, worthy to be adored. He is our shelter in the time of storm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We acknowledge the name of the Lord. Then you add to it, you add the factor of trust because he loves me, because he trusts in me. Because he knows my way is best. So we add this faith, is another word you could use there. We add this faith component. We acknowledge that God is already at work, that his ways are bigger than our ways, and he knows best. And then we say, okay, I will trust in you, Lord. You face physical ailments of many kinds. I will trust in you, God. 
I'm going to get through this with your help. You face hurts of many kinds, and I know you do. I spoke with someone this morning. Their daughter's making choices that are foolish. Will we trust in the Lord to guard our hearts as we walk through that process with them? And as we trust in the Lord, as we love Him, as we put our faith in Him, it's interesting what God promises us comes. It comes our rescue and protection. In a children's Bible that we read our kids, it's called God's divine rescue plan. From the beginning of time, from the fall of man, God ordained a way that we might be rescued through His Son. And even in the Old Testament, God is pointing us to Jesus Christ saying, I will rescue my people and I will protect my people for all eternity. They will not be overcome by the evil one. I will watch over those who acknowledge that I am God. I will put my protection upon those who trust in and love me. They are mine and they cannot be taken from my hand is what Jesus teaches us. So it's pretty simple. It's basic. We acknowledge that God is who he says he is. We put our trust in him and we accept the fact that he has rescued us and continues to do so, redeeming us, sanctifying us, making us more like his son and protecting us. Now, I want to be real cautious here. I don't want this to turn into prosperity gospel. In this world, you will face trouble. We live in broken times. Jesus told us that. He says, in this world, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So when we look at these promises, we have to understand that God's promises are not that we won't face difficulty. It's that when we face difficulty, we will know how to deal with them and whom to rest in. Because you want to know a secret? We might let each other down, but putting our trust in God will never let us down. In our understanding, we might get disappointed. I'll be honest with you. My family and I prayed dearly that Dad Smartnik would not suffer, but that he would be completely healed. And our prayer is that he would be physically healed here on earth. God chose to heal him physically by bringing him to glory. And yes, there was disappointment there, and there still is. But we trust that God's plan is right, and that he is worth our trust, and that we acknowledge that he knew what was better for Dad Smartnik and for all of us than we knew ourselves. Does it always make it easier? No. Again, please don't mistake me. Resting in God is a discipline, and it takes faith to say, God, even in the midst of heartache, I will trust in you. But Jesus himself did that. Jesus himself, right before he was crucified, said, Lord, if this cup could be taken from me, do it, that would be great. But not my will, but yours be done. What are you facing right now? What do you wish would go your way that hasn't? What do you wish... You could understand, but you just don't get. In those situations, have you gone back to the basics? Have you said, Lord, in my heart of hearts, I set apart you, Christ, as God. 
You are Lord. Remember, we talked about Lord earlier this summer of all parts of my life. I invite you into every part of my life and I trust in your plans, even though I may not always understand them. And in so doing, I know that you've got me right where you want me, rescued from the evil one. Jesus prayed for his church and his disciples, again, right before he died. And we prayed this this morning, that God would protect his people from the evil one. He didn't pray that they would be just zapped up and face no danger, but that while walking through this earth, while facing trials and tribulations of many kind, that we would be protected from the arrows of the evil one. And we know that God keeps his promises. We know this to be true. I've seen it in my own life. Interestingly, um, as a parent, you're brought to your knees time and again when you don't know what to do. And I can remember my mom and dad talking to me. And uh, I think my dad once said, Mike, I knew days when I hadn't prayed for you enough because you faced more trials than we wished you would. We can pray for one another that God would protect us from the evil one and he answers those prayers. He allows us to face trials according to his perfect will. But in so doing, we don't quit crying out that God would protect us and give us the strength to endure them. My dad also told me that he wouldn't pray that I would just be avoided of all trouble, but that I would have the strength and the faith to trust in him who is greater than my circumstances. Let's talk about circumstances for a minute. We have a hard time being satisfied with all sorts of things. Something happens in your life good and people don't respond with enough celebration and you get disappointed because they didn't enjoy your good fortune enough. Something bad happens in your life and people aren't grumpy enough with you and you're disappointed in their response to you. Something bad happens that is out of your control and you begin to see the world as you're a victim in this world and everything is out to get you. Something good happens to you and it was an accident. It must have just been dumb luck because surely that couldn't happen to me. And we develop these patterns of self-lordship where we think that the entire world is centered on us and that all these circumstances have to fall together for our pleasure according to our expectations. But that's not how God works. God says, call on my name, love and trust in me, and I will rescue you and I will protect you according to my plans, not yours. You see, because he gets to verse 15 and we're reminded of the next part of this truth. Again, this is not revolutionary stuff. I'm not teaching you heavy theology today. I'm teaching you Christianity 101 that says our lives are not our own. They're way better when we trust in Jesus. And we're invited to seek him first. Jesus himself says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things of my kingdom will be added, will be given you as well. Therefore, uh uh-oh, here's the report card time. You see it up there? Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How are we doing on that one, folks? I'm very worried about tomorrow. My youngest child is going to school for the first time. 
and God help us. No, she'll be great. And I am not actually worried about her. I'm excited for her. But we worry about all sorts of things and we go to everybody else. Hey, can you help me fix this problem? Can you help me do this? What do you think I should do here? And we go to everybody else. And then circumstances go sideways. And what's our first response? God, attribution theory. God, why did you let this happen to me? And I believe very much that God looks at us and said, huh? He knows everything going on, but I think he allows us to get to that point where he says, well, you never called me. I'm here. Remember the first part. He will rescue us. He will protect us. And he is always with us. Psalm 91 verse one. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. Always. Not sometimes. Not when you get the promotion, but also when you lose the job. Not when your spouse treats you the way you'd always dreamed and cooks you dinner or they serve you in the perfect way, but even when they disappoint you, we are still able to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Not when God hasn't given you who you're looking for in life, whether it be friend or uh, spouse or whatever, we can rest in the shadow of the Almighty. But to do so, it means that we acknowledge that He is our first call. When you fly these days, you have to fill out an emergency contact. Who they call first if something goes wrong. Again, it's a flying kind of day. I've spent too much time on airplanes. So, so you fill out, and I put somebody's name down, usually whoever's phone number I can remember. And they become my point of contact. But when trouble faces us in real life, when contentment and satisfaction are threatened... Do we go to him first or do we go try to fix it ourselves? Because look at what we're told here. He will call upon me. God knows we can call him. Think about it. You've all got your phones in your pocket. Some of you have been looking at them just to see what's going on in any number of things right now. I get that. But God says he can call upon me. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will Be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Even in difficult times, listen and look at these promises. First, God listens. This separates us from every other religion in the world. Right here. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and he heard my cry. Every other religion tells us we've got to get our way to God. Psalm 40 among the entire Bible also teaches us that God came down and listens to us because he loves us. Not because we've earned it, but out of his gracious compassion and mercy and love for us, he listens to us. You watch American television shows today and there's a certain stereotype of American men. We are horrible listeners. I'm an American man, so I must fit that bill. And and there might be some truth to that. God is not an American man. He is God. And when you talk to him, he listens. He doesn't daydream. He doesn't get distracted. He's right there waiting with open arms saying, I want to hear all of it. Tell me about your day. Tell me about your life. 
tell me about your trouble. I want it. Not only do I want to listen, but I want to take it. I want to answer you. And I want you to know that I've got you. And I will not let you go. Do we believe that? Good. We say it now like three of you do. The rest of you, you're still thinking about it. And that's okay. I get this is big. Because if we really take this message to heart, it changes how we live our lives. It changes how we interact with one another in this room. And it might actually just change the world. It has in years past. And it can very much do it again. If we believe what he says in just these first two parts of this promise we find here, God listens and he answers, it means that we trust that his answers are enough. That his ways are the right ways and that we will walk in them. It's the amazing thing about God's answers. They're always right. Back to attribution theory, you get the chance to look at the answers to the test before the test is even given. And the answer is always Jesus. That he's got you and he is walking with you and he gave us his Holy Spirit to give us strength to walk through this life that he's placed with us. And then here's the amazing one. When you face trouble, when you face loss, when you face hurt from your friends, from your enemies, from your coworkers, from your bosses, from your church family, all of which can happen. Trouble can come when you go in for a simple routine medical exam and they found something they didn't like and your world is shattered in a matter of moments. Or when your kids don't make the decisions you prayed to God they would make and you don't understand. But listen to the next two promises. He's with us. I will be with him in trouble. My favorite football team, world football, not American football. My favorite world football team is a team in Britain uh, called Liverpool. Don't know why, but when I was a little kid and we saw one soccer game in, in my English a year, Liverpool was the first team I ever saw and I liked their uniforms, and I had to choose between one of two. And so I choose, chose Liverpool. And you know what's great about Liverpool? Well, not much, because they're not very good. They've struggled lately. But anyway, but their tagline is, no one walks alone. I love that. It's a s- football team, yes. But I love that idea of no one walks alone. And that's who we are in Christ. No one walks alone. He is always with us. But see, the thing is, we know it, but we get afraid to live it. We know it, but we don't trust him. We know it to be true, but, and you can fill in the blank with whatever but it might be, but God, at the end of the day, your answer is this, but God you're not enough to help me with this. But God, I don't have time for you right now. I need to focus on other things. Which is the exact opposite of what he's invited us into. The more you depend on me, the more I will help you order in your your life in a way that is both pleasing and sane. It might look insane to the world, but you will have never been at more peace than when you've trust me with every part of your life. I'm gonna do something. And I'm going to ask you for a moment of honesty. And I know it's a bit transparent, but 
Would you raise your hand if you've been at all stressed in the past week for any reason whatsoever? Okay, the rest of you are liars. (laughs) Not really. I hope you haven't. But see, right here, we're invited into the answer to defeat the stress. To know that God is with us in all troubles of any kind. He doesn't promise that they'll go away, but that he will deliver us and help us to overcome them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 teaches us that no temptation, you can add trouble there, it works well, has seized us except what is common to man. That's the other thing. I'm sorry, guys, but most of what we face today is not new. Solomon taught us nothing is new under the sun. Well, 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches us that our struggles aren't as unique for us as we think they are. We all wrestle with sin. We all wrestle with disappointment and we all wrestle with hurt but that doesn't mean we need to depersonalize it one for another. God understands all of us and says, I've got you. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He never fails. He will not let you be tempted. He will not let you go through more than you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you are struggling, he will provide a way out. In the Greek, it kind of means like he'll give you a tent that you can stand up under and be safe. Any of you get wet this morning coming to church? Well, if you got wet this morning coming to church, God provides the tent that when the rains come and they fall, you are protected and you are kept dry. You're not going to avoid all the storms that come in this life, but he promises never to give you more than you can handle. And he promises to deliver you from the struggle if you will but acknowledge his name and trust in him. See, it always goes back to the basics. The acknowledgement comes in saying, God, you are who you've always been and my life needs to be oriented around you, not myself. I know you're going to be surprised to hear this, but I am not the most important person in this room. And neither are you. God is. He was and he always will be. He is with us. And I love this. If you remember, and I've said it before, if you remember the TV show, one of the greatest of all time, The A-Team, the leader of The A-Team would sit out and he would look at his band of rebels and he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. God for all eternity has been looking at his plans coming together, giving us free will to make a mess of this world, but knowing that in his perfect timing and in his perfect plan, all things will be made new. You want to know what that's going to really look like? I'm going to do my best to explain that to you next springtime after January when we look at the end and what that might be for us. But for now, we know that God's got a plan. For I know the plans I have for you, he told Israel, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That is not just a cheesy graduation verse that you put in a card, so stop it. That is a verse that means that God's people are under his care and his plans are good and right and eternal and we can trust in them. You with me? God's got a plan. Will we trust in that plan or will we keep coming to him second, third, or later on? You want to be inspired by people that have wrestled with this truth? Go home and go to a website called I Am Second. You ever hear of it? I am second. Spell out second. I'll put it on our Facebook church page later on. But you go and you just watch a couple of these people that have been transformed by the truth that their lives are not their own, but they are God's. 
<laughs> and that they are not first. Here's the thing. Another famous bumper sticker that you've seen. Jesus is my co-pilot is bad theology. You ever heard that one? Jesus is the pilot. We're just along for the ride and we are called to do what he tells us to do. Because what the pilot says goes, right? We've got some pilots in here and you better understand that when turbulence comes, who am I going to ask for help? The pilot. When turbulence comes in our own lives, who do we ask for help? We don't just go to that person sitting in business class and saying, can you fix the plane because you're in business or first class? You must know more. No, we go to the pilot and say, help! Get above or below the turbulence. Get around it. Fix this. But why don't we do that in our spiritual lives? Why don't we go to him who is the great physician and say, my life is here. Help. You face trials. Remember that God will not only deliver you, but he will honor you. That's an amazing truth that we don't think about enough. This idea of honor. I I like living in Asia because as an individualistic person that I am, I love the honor that goes into respecting our grandparents and our families in uh, Asian culture. And it's not across the board, but by and large, uh, Asian culture has a much better understanding of what's called filial piety, where we take care of our families. Sadly, in America, we've gotten into the habit where we put our loved ones in a home and see them once a year. That's not always the case, but it happens. But we honor our loved ones by being with them. We honor our loved ones by letting them know that we are going to carry on the legacy that they have left before us. We honor our loved ones by letting them know we love them and are grateful for what they have done for us amazingly, God says, those who acknowledge me, those who love me, those who trust in me, I will honor them for their right, righteous lives. Because I've given them hope and rescue through Jesus Christ. And they live righteous lives through him, not through themselves. And they will be honored for all eternity. Sometimes we have to confess our own righteousness so that we can remember we're washed by Jesus' righteousness. We're not self-righteous, we're Jesus' righteous. And he will honor us by inviting us into a life of full relationship with him forever. And then there's one more thing. Uh, Yeah, okay, this is a, a great verse, just the psalm before, Psalm 90. Satisfy us, Lord, Again, back to this idea of satisfaction. That's what we're talking about. In the morning with your steadfast love, your ever, ever going love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I can tell a content person pretty easily, and I think you can too. They've got the joy of the Lord in their heart. That doesn't mean they're the life of the party. You might be introverted. You might be shy. You might just not want to be at a party. That's not what that means. The joy of the Lord means we are so content with where God has us that we can't help but be excited about the life we get to live in his name. And we're satisfied with it. And the only thing we're not satisfied with is we're going to keep trying to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek out his word and let him teach us. We're going to not stay where we are but continue to grow to be more like his son. It's pretty revolutionary, isn't it? That satisfaction doesn't come from the rolling stones, but it comes from the Lord our God.
who is with us, who delivers us, who cares for us and who listens to us. That's amazing to me. And we can be glad all of our days. Some days you might not feel like being all smiley and happy and like the people you see on TV. That's okay. We're not called to that. We're called to be joyful in the Lord and rejoicing that he's got us and he's got a plan. And then he puts it together. Satisfaction isn't temporal. You know what that means? It means it doesn't depend on how you live in the next 24 hours. Let's say, for instance, you decide not to walk down past Eon to that one... Well, okay, you do, because it doesn't matter in this part of town. Let's say you go down to the zebra stripes and you decide to cross the street. And somebody decides that the laws do not apply to them and they mow you over. Life is done. Were you satisfied with the life you lived right now? You can argue that left and right. God is promising a satisfaction that is not just until your life ends, but for all eternity. He's saying, I will care for, I will protect you with long life and satisfy you and show him my salvation. The long life, many commentators seem to think that God is pointing us, reminding us that our lives are eternal. Not all agree with that. So it might just be temporal, but how he defines long life, this much we know. God's got a plan for our lives. And we are called to live for his glory both now and forevermore. What we do with what he has given us shows us where our satisfaction and contentment lies. If we keep trying to build our own kingdoms here on earth, that's what we will get. If we keep worrying about fixing everybody else rather than trusting in the Lord to guide us in how we can help encourage and support one another through the grace that we have been given, we will fail every time. If we keep expecting our children to perform without offering them the love and the grace that God has first given us, they will give you exactly what you've expected, performance and without love. If we keep expecting our coworkers to treat us better, but we treat them as nothing more than a transactional piece that we use to get what we want, that's what we will find in life. But here it is. It's a divine paradox. If we understand and accept and live out that contentment and satisfaction come from relinquishing, giving up our right to ourselves, we find satisfaction with God. But Mike, you don't understand. And I know I don't understand so many things. The list of what I don't know is massive. But this I do know. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, what is that? What's that last bit right there? For they will be satisfied. I want to be satisfied with life, which means I'm called to acknowledge God. We go back to verse 14. I acknowledge the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord over all of my life. You start there. If we can't say that, we can't criticize God for not satisfying us because we haven't given him our lives. But as we acknowledge him, as we love him, we'll realize the things that we thought were so important yesterday 
are not nearly as important as pleasing God. Earlier this year, we talked about a guy named Paul that said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then later on, he said, I have learned to be content in any and all situation, living with plenty or in want. I've got all I need and his name is Jesus. And we love those verses. We really do. I mean, we memorize them. I'm not the only one saying them right now. Today, ladies and gentlemen, don't love the verses. Live the truth. As the song goes, take my life and let it be holy and pleasing, Lord, to thee. My prayer for us is that the words Jesus gave us here, we would understand that as we seek to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we understand we've been given righteousness through Jesus Christ. That's what ties it all together. He is who ties it together. Satisfaction is found in the righteousness of God through Jesus, his son, given us through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, empowered to live mighty lives with what he has called us to today. I don't know what all you're facing Three months ago, I did not know what my family faced, what my loving, amazing wife faced. But God gave us pictures and exactly what we needed at exactly the right time. And now he's asking us, will we be satisfied with him? Will we live for him and him alone? Not for him first, but for him alone. And will we pray for others that they might yield to him, that we might invite them into that relationship. Who needs you to walk alongside him and say, you know what? There is meaning in this world and it's not in your job. It's not in whether you ride first class. It's not in your status or in your relationships with anyone but God. God has brought all things under himself and invites us to be satisfied in him. And when we're satisfied in him, as John Piper tells us, he's glorified in and through us. Can we be satisfied in Jesus? Is he enough? Do we believe his promises? Amen. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I'll be honest. And I ask your forgiveness because I haven't lived all the time like you're enough. I haven't pointed others to that truth. And so, God, I ask your forgiveness for that publicly. But together as a body of believers today, I pray that we would set apart you as Lord over all of our life and that we would learn the secret of being content. And that's knowing you and bringing glory to you by resting in you. May we find the kind of peace that only comes from you. And may everything else fall by the wayside and under your control. And this we pray, amen.